when you text in, when you call through, when you share your ideas and thoughts with us. And uh, we love to be able to pass them along here. Speaking of which, we do have a number of text messages. Oh, let's through. let's go. Okay, okay. To let me see, writing with your mind, amazing technology. We are told that only God can read our minds, and maybe God's angels, Satan and his angels, cannot, but can read facial expressions and body actions. If they were able to control the mind, there would be no freedom of choice. Hopefully, these chips can read the mind, but not control the thoughts. Oh, yeah. If they do, there goes freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. Jesus' return must be just around the Isn't corner. That, that's like actually a really good point. Oh, ho, 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 ho. There's got to be a fine line between able to being able to print out your thoughts and being able to control somebody's thoughts. Man, that's just like a button on Adobe Reader. You know, you know when you get a PDF and you just click the button and it's like you go from read mode to edit mode. Uh-huh. Maybe with these microchips you go from read mode to edit mode all of a sudden and then you're just controlling people. That's obviously... The technology we have in our world today is just <laughs> freaky. Yeah, that's what I said when Talk I intro it. No- I was like, this is a bit freaky. Like, this has massive implications on what's going to happen in the future because it has further applications from just text to speech. Imagine what it could do to war. Imagine what it could do to... As I said, interrogation. Yeah, imagine just driving a car and you just don't even need some to... Inject somebody with something, the- knock them out cold, have an operation, put a chip in their mind and start asking questions. Mm. And under, like, like, you know, post-9-11 American legislation, they can just do whatever they want. This is true. This, this is true. This is scary. All right, what else do we got? Uh, firing squad. Soon worldwide death executions will be made law by all types of manner. That's a pretty heavy statement right there. I actually want to, like, what does the firing squad look like? Is it like a, a group of guns? Is it one gun? Uh, firing squad is made up of a row of soldiers or police. I'm not sure which they would use in South Carolina who all shoot the person at the same time. Mm-hmm. So to ensure got, that they yeah, die. Multiple, multiple bullets hitting all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes to in an effort to protect the uh, executioners from PTSD, they'll load some of them with blanks. Yeah, wow. So you never know whether yours was the one what was one of the ones or not. Ooh. I don't know whether that makes any difference or not. I, yeah, I don't I kind think of it would. I think it wouldn't, but... Yeah, if I had a choice between the chair and the, and the firing squad, I'd go to the firing squad. Yeah. That's true. It's going to be instantaneous. That's true. You're not going to feel it. You're not going to hear it. That's true. Anyway, uh, yeah, but the, the, the thing in this text message is um, soon worldwide death executions will be made law by all types of manner, and the Bible does say that in Revelation chapter 13. Remember, before the close of probation, untold millions will be beheaded for their beliefs in Christ. That's from Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. Mm. So that's a, that's a pretty heavy thought right there, but it is actually what the Bible does say. Mm. India and the deaths of 60 priests per week. I can imagine that the reason is because they have to visit the sick and the chances of them getting sick are exceptionally high. I suppose it is not a bad reason for dying. Helping people isn't that what Jesus would do. Mm. This is one of the major things early on in the history of Christianity that had a huge effect on the growth of Christianity within the Roman Empire was when the plague hit the city of Rome and all the, well, everybody left the city because, you know, quarantine and so forth. Nobody wanted to catch the disease and people in the country weren't getting it. And it was only the Christians who stayed there to help and provide for the 
uh, people, the sick people in Rome, and that witness was a very, very powerful witness. Okay, loss of religious freedoms, the army chaplain and all the others you mentioned. Uh, reminds me of the Dark Ages. Soon the slaughter will begin for the faithful Christians. Christians are being thrown to the lions. Jesus will soon come to save his people. Do you have the answer, Lawson? Yeah, yeah, and so do a, f- a fair few people for bragging rights. A, f- a fair few people for a- bragging apparently. rights. Apparently. after Okay, so I saw the next clue. You're an exaggerator. Uh, but... A fair few. But one, yes, one, it says one. some some for bragging rights. That's more than one. Oh. oh. <laughs> okay. So it's you and somebody else. Yeah. Well, okay. So you saw the next clue. Yeah. All right, all right, but somebody got it before they saw. The you next know what? Clue. Like, because we started this clue quiz late, we may as well just give another clue now. No. You don't want another one. No. Oh, all right. All right. Okay. Okay. This one here's an interesting one on the subject of sex before marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, as for sex before marriage, before I was converted, many of my friends had sex with dozens, if not hundreds, of women. The funny thing is that in man-to-man conversations, they all said the same thing. While they were maybe enjoying themselves, they were actually wanting to meet someone to love. That's mm. what they really wanted. Hundred percent. Yeah. And this is this is a fact. You find you know young guys that are sort of you know into that whole scene of sleeping around. Ultimately, it's a funny thing. They're all looking for somebody to love, somebody to do life with, somebody to, um, you know, somebody to 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 grow old with. They're all looking for that, and it's interesting. They, they don't like to admit it, but the fact is, they are. Yeah. Well, it's and sooner or later, that's where they go. I was going to say, well, it's interesting. You know, we live in an era, particularly in Australia, of you know, normalization of sex before marriage, like and, and yeah. having multiple partners and having partners that you're intimate with before you make any commitment, and just having casual relationships, like normalized this, back in the sixties, been here ever since. Yeah, it's fully normalized yet. And, and I should say, before the sixties, it was practiced it just wasn't normalized yeah yeah, yeah it was, it yeah. was the thing that everybody did but that just wasn't normalized well, dude I, I read a statistic like in the in the early 1950s that like uh, i think it was like 56 percent of men in the united states lost their virginity to um prostitutes Oof. because that it wasn't normalized to have yeah, I was very shocked by the statistic too. Yep. Um, but because like um, heaps of dudes were seeking that, but it wasn't normalized to you know. So the women, from the other perspective, weren't engaging. Yes. But then overnight, you know, once you get into the sixties and the seventies, like that statistic just dropped to less than one percent. And I wonder whether that was a carryover from the Second World War, where the availability for sex was you know kind of prostitutes for the most mm. part. I don't know. I'm just. I don't I don't know. Yeah, heavy stuff. It is heavy stuff and it is a sad world that we live in and all I can say is may Jesus come soon. Amen. But it's like may Jesus come soon but may we do a thorough job as Christians in educating people on the benefits of monogamy. Yes. Um and like because again Yeah, what David was saying in that interview this morning was powerful stuff. Epic, dude. Really strong argument. We have really, really good things to say on this. We have good things to say on this topic that Christians shy away from. We have amazing things to say as Christians. Uh and and, and furthermore, like as I was mentioning before, like even though casual relationships are so normalized, like marriage actually the the amount of people getting married stays persistent. Yes. Divorce is increasing, but people are still engaging in marriage because, because they married. want they want that. This is what the people want, and they don't even know it. 
That was the way we were programmed. That was the way we mm. were created as human beings. That's what the Bible brings out, and people are still following the biblical model. This has been a part of every culture on earth, regardless of how remote that culture might be and how separated from other cultures. They all have the practice of marriage. Oh, wow. Across the board. Dude, epic stuff. Created in us, brought to us as a gift from God, a foretaste of heaven. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 13. Let's get into it. Let's see what the Bible says. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 13. Interesting passage here, actually, because Uh it kind of goes against some of what we've been saying about the covenant. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 13. As I turn there, the Bible says... He proclaimed his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to keep and which he wrote on two stones of tablets. Okay, so the Bible is very clear Mm -hmm. that the covenant is much more than the law of God. Yes. And that the law of God is about the covenant. Uh But this verse creates an incredibly strong link between the law and the covenant. If you took this verse on its own, you would say... Uh, if you want to find the covenant, it is the Ten Commandments. Yeah, it's like a qualifying statement. It reminds me of in John where he says, and this is how we know that God loves us, you know, that he gave his son as a propitiation. Like, it's that direct qualifying statement. This kind of does the same thing. It's like the covenant, the Ten Commandments, you know, it goes on from there. So, And this is why when you go to the New Covenant in Hebrews chapter 8, it says, I'll write my laws on, the, on their hearts and in their minds. Mm. The law is central to... God's covenant with us. Mm. And this is exactly what God is expressing right here. He is expressing that the covenant is central, or God's law is central to the concept of the covenant. And so, you know, when we look at what we've got here, uh, we would ask ourselves the question, why is it that the law of God is so central to the covenant and in many ways it's the boundary of the covenant? Mm. So if you think about the marriage covenant, and we've been talking about marriage in our interview as we were leading up to this, so let's use this as an example. When you talk about the marriage covenant, it's two people promising to uh, give their lives to each other. Yeah. But are there boundaries involved in that? Is mm. is, is marriage something that is restrictive? Um. Yeah. Yes. Well, because the, absolutely, the promise is that you'll do something right, which is yes. to hold the best interests of the other person above your own. I, I would, I would struggle to find anything more restrictive in life than the marriage covenant. Mm. Because, like, what comes, what's a part, like, what comes with holding the other's best interests above yourself in the marriage relationship is a ton of restrictions. One of them being monogamy. That's the one we've been talking about this morning. Okay, so let's think about it, Lawson. You're a single person. I'm a married person. Uh-huh. And let's think about some of the differences between you know, being single and being married. Uh, first of all, I mean, you have your basic promises that you make to each other to, uh, to love and to cherish and to, be, you know, to give yourselves only to each other as long as you shall live in goodness and health. And death to us part. Death to us yeah. part and in, in, in sickness and hardship and, and so forth. Yes, yes. Okay, so that's your basic promise right there, and it involves that you know the, the fact that you're not going to be with other people and so forth. Um, you're going to be intimate only with each other. This is all part of the marriage covenant, 
But then think about how much further that goes because I would argue that marriage is one of the most selfless exercises that as a human being we can partake in. And I'll give you an example. And this is not an attack on single people in any way, shape or form. But when you're a single person, you kind of do whatever you want. This is this is actually true, man. Like you know, after this show, if you don't have to go to work, you can just sort of think, well, I could do this or I could do that or mm-hmm. I could do the other because you're not responsible to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what you find is that you know when people get married later in life, as they tend to do these days, one of the challenges that they find is that they have lived so long living a selfish life. And when I say living a selfish life, I'm not saying a selfish life in a wrong way. Mm. It's just a life where they've never had to consider anybody else that they're actually doing life with. Mm. And so then they get married and now so much changes because they don't have that, you know, that like, well, I feel like going to Spain tomorrow. Yeah, actually, and they go to Spain tomorrow. It's like no, we actually have to sit down and talk about this and work through (laughs) and make a decision and uh, financial decisions and all these other decisions. It's a massive act of selflessness. This has been a huge step in my life, actually. Like when I was, I think around like eighteen, nineteen, I thought like, bro, I'm ready to go. Like, I just need to find the right one, and then I'm good. I'm sitting here as a twenty-two year old now, and I'm like, I couldn't be further from ready just in the sense that like the the step that i need to that i now recognize i need to take to get married and that's because you know i've had a couple of relationships along the way and this i'm like okay what's the steps that i need to take to get married uh, but the biggest one is that huge emotional adjustment that is required of like to be fully selfless and to give yourself to someone i'm like i'm in a season in my life at the moment where i'm working you know i'm i'm a student all these things and I'm like, oh man, I kind of just need to focus on myself right now. I'm actually nowhere near ready for this, and so yeah, it's it's a bit it's a bit wild, eh? Like when you realize, oh, actually, marriage is super difficult. It doesn't solve all your problems. Just thinking like, oh yeah, I can I can just get with someone and I'll be good. Like which is I think the perception that a lot of people have. It's like, oh yeah, once I find that person, I'll be perfect. It's like, no man, I need to put in the work today. Like. This is this is the, the big so rather step. than finding the right person, you've got to become the right become person. Become hundred percent. Like that's honestly one of my one of my biggest prayers because I couldn't think of anything worse than just being a terrible partner. Like locking yourself into that with someone and then being the cause of all their problems and all their strife. You know, as you say in the marriage thing, like, yes, problems come along and, and issues come along, but it's like, you know, if you're both seeking each other's best interest, even if you're the one struggling, then you get through, right? Because you're there for each other. Whereas just being a bad partner, being a selfish partner, being a self-centered partner is something that... Oh man, I I feel sorry for the person that would have to go through that at the at the because of me. And so I'm like, man, I just don't even want to do that. I don't even want to be a part of that. I'm just gonna be happy <laughs> being single and living life by myself. Uh, and then, yeah. uh, and then know, tomorrow go is gonna meet somebody. You watch, listeners. You oh, hundred percent. Like that's gonna, how, that's how this tune will change like, real fast. At the same time, I'm not gonna lie and say that I don't want to <laughs> eventually get married. And I like I'll be the first to admit that. Yeah, you meet people and you're like, oh man, this person's really nice and really great and really kind and like yeah, you, you know, you have a crush or whatever. But I'm I'm kind of in the place where yeah this is this is the big step for me is like i would meet someone and i would be like you know 
fall in love with them, like have a crush on them. And then I'd just be doing everything that I could to like, you know, get in essentially like, oh, just be, just work that out. Whereas now like I'll meet someone and I'm like, it's actually a bit of a head change. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to be myself and do my thing because um, look, if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, well, I know that I have a long way to go. So, so here's, here's where I'm going with this because, by the way, you're at the age that my wife was when she got married and had our first child. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Your age, right there. Uh, here's where I want to go with this. Marriage, as human beings, marriage is the most restrictive mm-hmm. contract that we enter into. Mm-hmm. And yet we find that the vast majority of the world because people always complain. This is the thing. People are, oh, the law of God, it's so restrictive. It says we can't do this, can't do that, can't do the other. And we can't go around killing people. We can't go around lying. We can't go around stealing things. So restrictive. Terribly restrictive. People always complain about the law of God and it being restrictive. But universally around the world, people are looking for somebody to love, somebody to do life with, somebody to spend their life with. And whether it's under a marriage contract or a common law marriage contract, it's the same thing. Mm. You know, if you move in with somebody and you live with them long term and have a long term relationship, it's exactly the same thing. You've still got to you've still got to go down that same uh, that same mindset of selflessness to make that work. It's not the same thing because obviously a marriage is a formal commitment that God asks us to do, but there are similar aspects to it. You are still engaging in a contract of selflessness. Yeah. And if you don't engage in that contract of selflessness, the relationship will never work. Mm. Okay, so, <coughs> excuse me, why is it, why is it that people will willingly and with great joy throw themselves into such a restrictive contract? Mm. Why? Well, I think, like, something that we've discussed before is, like, because we have an, a covenant here and it's the law. Okay, and we going too deep. No, let me listen. Let me all listen. Right, let, me right. listen. Uh, let, let, me, let me speak, right. Lyle. And we've identified that living under the law, like living, yes. you know, a life with the law is the best life that could possibly be lived yes. because the, the restrictions provided help us to live better. Yes. And I believe that it's the same principle in marriage as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. The principles given within the marriage covenant are the best ways to do it. So why wouldn't we? Absolutely. And of course, the main ingredient is love. Amen. When people love each other, they throw themselves into it. And if you love God, you will throw yourself into a relationship, a covenant with God, and embrace those restrictions. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Psalms chapter 78 and verse 10. Let's head over there. Psalm 78 and verse 10. We're talking about the covenant and the relationship of the law to the covenant. And the relationship of the law is the law is the boundary of the covenant. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, every covenant that we enter into here on this earth, whether it's a marriage covenant or a business covenant, whatever it is, it has boundaries. And you can't Mm -hmm. go, you can't cross those boundaries. In a marriage covenant, you can't go and sleep with somebody else. Mm -hmm. In a business covenant, you can't go and rob money out of the till whenever you feel like it. Yeah. Uh, whatever it might be, they all have restrictions and we freely enter into those restrictions because of the benefits that they are going to bring to us. Mm-hmm. You know, and so often we think about the law as being restrictive, but the reality is that the law is not restrictive. The law brings us great benefits and freedom. Mm-hmm. For instance, even though we get frustrated at it, think about the laws of the road. 
Yeah, yeah, well, I think I have a speeding fine sitting on my desk at home that I need to pay right now from one of those cameras, and it is frustrating. (laughs) But let's say we abolished all of them. Mm -hmm. What would happen? We would lose our freedom. Yeah, 100%. I've I've lived in countries, developed countries, where they, you know, insist that having less laws and less restrictions and all these things are a good thing, yet they have the highest, like, road accident fatalities in the world. I'm specifically talking about Spain, where they don't have highway patrols, they don't have speed cameras, they don't have anything. Uh, we got booked in Spain once, like, you know, got pulled over. Guy, like, come up to the door and one of our passengers wasn't wearing a seatbelt uh, and she put it on as he was walking to the door, but he saw it. He's just like, oh, give me 50 50 bucks and you can go like, but this is like the level of regulation in Spain. Yes. And this is a developed country, like yes. a full on, like a, a good modern country. Yet, yeah, yeah they, they don't have restrictions. You and I have also been to developing countries. Yes, the same thing. It's and that's like, wild on a different level altogether again. Basic, but my point is whether it's developed or privileged or whatever, you take away law, road laws, like you take away the restrictions of the covenant. It ultimately, like there isn't a, 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 a an ultimate good theory where everyone will just be okay no matter, like because of, context or circumstance no 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 you take away the restrictions it's always going to lead to pain it's always going to lead to struggle that's right psalm 78 verse 10 let's read it oh psalm Psalm 78 verse 10 we've got a number of verses here that we're going to work our way through Mm -hmm. and the phones are ringing let's see if we can get some uh, answers for this quiz psalm 78 verse 10 yes the bible says they did not keep god's covenant and refused to live by his instructions Okay, so this is going to be interesting because uh, in my translation it says they refuse to live by his law. Mm-hmm. So there's a relationship between here, between the law and the covenant. Mm. Go to Psalms 50 and verse 16. Psalms 50 and verse 16, the Bible says as I turn there. Psalm 50, verse 16, the Bible says, But God says to the wicked, Why bother reciting my decrees and pretending to obey my covenant? Okay. Whew. Decrees. My translation has statutes, so we can kind of add this to uh, add this to our list here. Really, of all the things that are related to the covenant. So the first one is law. The second one are decrees. Let's go to Psalms twenty-five and verse ten. That's Psalms twenty-five and verse ten. Mm, Psalm twenty-five and verse ten. The Bible says the Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness. All who keep his covenant and obey his demands. Okay, this one I am going to read from mine. Let me just dig out my Bible and we will go to Psalms. Just flicking over there very quickly. Psalms chapter 25. And uh, we were reading verse 10 where the Bible says, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Well, they really took some creative license with my translation. But let's think about, yeah, absolutely. Let's think about testimonies for a moment. Mm. Because here we've got the testimonies and the covenant linked together. Mm. And when I think about testimonies, I think about somebody's story. Mm. And so we've got Jesus' story linked with the covenant. So we have his decrees, we have his law, we have his statutes, we have his testimony. These are all linked with the covenant. Let's go to Psalms 103, verse 18. Psalms 103 and verse 18. And I'm going to 
follow along just to uh, keep the NLT on the straight and narrow here. <laughs> For sure, the Bible says in Psalm 3 and verse 18, of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. Okay, so commandments with uh, one actually says the same thing. Yeah, well, the miracle of miracles. Epic, epic. To such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to mm. do them. Okay, so we've got commandments. Uh, let's continue on here. Deuteronomy 33 and verse 9. Let's, let's have a look at what it says over here. Deuteronomy 33, yes, verse 9. As we turn, man, my, my fingers are getting, getting page burned from all this turning. <laughs> 33 and verse 9, was it? Yes. Uh, the Bible says... We're a bunch of verses here because we're playing a bit of catch-up here at the moment. The Levites obeyed your word and guarded your covenant. They were more loyal to you than to their own parents. They ignored their relatives and did not acknowledge their own children. Okay, and in the King James it says, And of Levi he said, Let your... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 33 and verse 9. 33? Mm-hmm. And verse 9? Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy. Oh, I'm reading verse 8. He's <laughs> like, wait a Classic minute. blunder. Uh, he said to his father, to his mother, I have... No? This doesn't sound right, but anyway. It, I've got the right verse. Who said to his father and to his mother, I have not seen him, neither did he acknowledge his brethren, nor knew his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the key here in this passage is, of course, that the word of God is related to the covenant. Mm. And so when we find the covenant being referred to as the law of God, that shouldn't surprise us because the covenant is a lot of things. It is all-encompassing. In fact, you know, when the Bible talks about the New Testament and the Old Testament and the word testament means covenant, it simply means the old covenant and the new covenant. Mm. It's another way of writing the same thing. Uh, in other words, you could take the word Bible off the uh, off the cover of your Bible and replace it with the word the covenant. Mm. And that would be in a total, uh, that would be an in an entirely appropriate title for that book. Yeah, well. Just call it The Covenant because that's what it is. Um, The Covenant is related to God's decrees, God's law, God's statutes, God's testimony, uh, God's commandment, and God's word. Mm. And all of these go together to constitute God's covenant. Okay, so think of someone that you have a close relationship with. So here's here's, here's a question. Oh, we're out of time to answer big questions. Where did it go so fast? Yeah, I know, right? I mean, we read all of these really good verses right here, and just when you want to sort of dig into them in depth, well, we've got to go to the next song. And, of course, now, um, you know, the question is talking about, you know, feeling bound by rules, norms, and laws as compared to total freedom. We're going to pick up that tomorrow. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Anyway, let's have our question of the day. All right, well, question of the day is, who was Nympha? Okay, so that's kind of a random question coming through uh, about a very, very insignificant Bible person. Uh, If you turn in your Bibles to Colossians Mm -hmm. uh, chapter 4, and let me read this one to you. Uh, in verse 15, the Bible says, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea <coughs> and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. Does your translation say something different? Yes. It Go says, for it. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters uh, in at Laodicea and to Nympha 
and the church that meets in her house. Okay, so the KJV says his house and gives the male translation of nymphus, uh, which means bridegroom, mm-hmm. whereas yours gives the female translation of nympha, which means bride, and, of course, mine says his house, yours says her house. Which one is true? That's intense. Well, obviously, the writers of the Bible didn't know. Like, as in the translators. The, the translators, yeah. Yes, and there's a lot of debate over it. So your KJV, your new KJV, your ERV, your YLT, etc., are all going to have Nymphus and his house. And then you're going to have your NIV, ESV, CSB, NASB, and NET, which are going to have Nympha, which is her house. And the simple answer to the question is that the Greek here is not specific. Oh, wow. So you kind of have the opportunity of choosing. Uh, There's kind of a lot of debate over it backwards and forwards, but it's one of those debates that nobody's going to win because it is just ungendered language. Mm -hmm. And so we don't actually know for sure. And so these are the translations that we've come up with. What's interesting here, though, is that the Bible speaks about the church in Laodicea and that this is a house church. Now, of course, during COVID, house churches have been quite common in very many parts of the world and even here in New South Wales. I know of some churches that went to house churches during COVID because they could and they've kind of never come back from it. They've got these beautiful, big, multi-million dollar buildings that just are kind of not being used and some of them are only being used like once a month when they have big church and the rest of the Mm. time they have house church. And, you know, I kind of have some question marks in my mind about that. But this is how the early church was. And what you're going to find is that it was a very common practice. Yeah, wow. So Nympha or Nymphus, whoever he or she was, uh, having a a church in in their house would obviously have been a wealthy person because only a wealthy person would would have a house that was big enough to accommodate that, it certainly would have been interesting to attend that church. I would love to see how they did church back in those days when they met in house churches. But you have other examples of it in the Bible as well. So you have Lydia. Uh, she was a merchant who was living in Philippi. You find her story in Acts chapter 16 and verse 40. Uh, she had a church in her house. Mary, the mother of John Mark, had one in her house in Jerusalem. Then you have Priscilla and Aquila in the city of Ephesus. The church started in their house in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. Uh, Then you have Philemon and Aphia in Colossae. Uh, You'll find that in Philemon 1 and verse 2. And possibly Titus Justus in Corinth, Acts chapter 18 and verse 7, had a church in his house. And so when you actually read through the book of Acts, you're going to find there are more house churches that are mentioned than any other kind of church. Of course, as you go on through the New Testament, you're going to find that churches did become more formalized over time into actual places of worship. But that's how it all started. People meeting in small groups in people's homes. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.